Shavua Tov and welcome to another week of learning Torah on Chai FM and uh, Top of the Pops. We are unpacking the ancient texts and we are looking at the book of Tehillim, the book of Psalms that King David penned so many thousands of years ago, about 2,000 years ago. Um, and in it, we always seem to identify our lives together with and in the life of King David. He was obviously the first king of Israel. That's why we uh, speak about King David. He is Chai Vakayam. He is alive and he exists throughout because he really is um, in a chain of, uh, of royalty that started with him and that will end with Mashiach, with Mashiach ben David, we call the Messiah Mashiach ben David, Mashiach the son of David, because um, the final Messiah will be from the house of David. That is one of the prerequisites. And I'm not going to get too much into Mashiach ben David. Please God, tomorrow from 10 past 8 till 8.30, I will be back on Chai FM now once a week discussing the ideas around Mashiach, the, the things that are happening in the world today, and more importantly, understanding once and for all, I think it's important that each and every uh, person out there understands what is Mashiach, who is Mashiach, why do we even want a Mashiach, what is this entire Messianic redemptive process, is it something that is just biblical, something that is a myth, or is it something that uh, we see today in our times, in our lives, um, and is it really going to happen? So. That's just whetting your appetite state, uh, appetite, listen to me, <laughs> your appetite. Um, stay tuned uh, tomorrow at 10 past 8. And uh, if you have any questions or any comments, please, always, we, we'd love to hear from you. So that's at 10 past 8 tomorrow. Going back to the original Ben David, the David himself, King David, we are going through Psalm 119, the longest Tehillim in the book of Tehillim, and we are going to be looking at the letter Tzadi, which is verses 137 to 144. Those are the verses that all start, the eight verses that start with the letter Tzadi. Now, when properly pronounced tzadi um, has two bent heads if you look at the the way the letter is formed it's actually got two burnt head uh, bent heads and we know tzadi um, is the shoresh is the uh, root letters of the word tzaddik a tzaddik is a righteous person is a person who's wholesome person who is trustworthy a person who lives his life in accordance with god and so our rabbis teach us in the Gomorrah of Shabbos that the letter Tzadi has two bent heads because they symbolize the hallmark of what a righteous, extraordinary person is. He has a, has a submission to God and he, he bows down in submission to God's will. And uh, very interestingly, this Gomorrah in Shabbos talks about each and every single letter of the alphabet. And every week I have mentioned what... Um, that letter symbolizes the last two weeks we did pay and iron and we said pay stood for the letter pay for the mouth and iron for the for for the eyes um should be actually iron and then pay in the correct 
consecutive order. And uh, the Gemara goes on to say that the letter Tzadi follows the letter Ayin, the letter Pei, the eye and the mouth, because one who humbly submits his voice and his vision to God merits the title tzaddik. Um, how can one start striving towards being a righteous person? One, as we have spoken before in the previous uh, verses, the one, uh, um, the one who submits his thoughts, his ideas, his understanding to the will of God, and then he verbalizes and he uses that speech um, in the service of God. He is called a tzaddik, a righteous person. So that's the letter tzadi, okay, that has two little, um, it looks like two little yuds at the top. Both are showing submission because when you do see a righteous person, you'll see that they are toichekegeboiro. What's inside of them is what relates out to them. And really, you can always see what's inside and outside being congruent. You know that that person is really, really in control of his uh Emotion. So that's the tzaddik. That is the person um, that we always talk to. But he starts off the verses, King David, with tzaddik ata Hashem v'yashar mishpatecha, that you, Hashem, are righteous and your judgments are fair. Now, just this verse opens up a huge, huge discussion because here King David is saying tzaddik ata Hashem, you are righteous Hashem, your judgments are fair. Many, many times people are very perplexed um, and perhaps rightly so on face value. They're perplexed by the fact that we see righteous suffer and the wicked, the wicked often prosper. It's the, the question um, that is always asked, why are the good people in this world suffering? And it seems like the wicked are getting away with absolutely everything. Well, the first answer um, to this, and it is actually quite a complex answer. It is in understanding the relationship that God has with people and uh, understanding the entire relationship of this world, the world to come, etc., etc. The first thing that King David is saying is, Tzadik Hashem, Hashem, you are righteous, okay? The Yashar Mishpatecha, your judgments are fair, meaning a person who who is of pure faith, he will always accept God's judgments as upright and true. And that is the basis on which we can begin a discussion as why do the righteous suffer and why do the wicked prosper. And really, in a nutshell, it takes a, a much longer discussion one needs to understand the relationship that God has with people. God wants a relationship with people. That is why he created the world. Okay? God wanted something outside of himself, other than himself, because God is infinite. He is complete. He is one. Um, he didn't necessarily need something to fulfill him, but he wanted a relationship with something outside of him. And so our Kabbalists teach that he created a vacuum, and in that vacuum he created the world. And he created this entire system called the world with all the intricacies and all the complexities that we perceive in the world. And he placed man in there. And the whole purpose of this world, the whole interplay of absolutely everything that happens in this world is that man must seek God 
willingly, out of free will, out of free choice, because there is nothing greater in a relationship than when two people come together, okay, and they want to be with each other. They want to share their worlds with each other. They want to delve into the inner worlds of each other. And so God wanted a relationship with mankind. So he creates this world. He sticks us in this unbelievably intricate, amazing world with all its all its uh, complexities. And he says, come find me. I'm hiding. Come find me. And really, that is the only choice that we have. We have the choice to do. And I'm putting in inverted commas in 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 in. in in, 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 in almost like an italics form to choose good or choose bad. Choose good falls into the lines of us doing that which God deems good in this world and that will bring us closer to that relationship for which we were created or doing bad, doing the other side, saying, well, that's not my agenda. I have another agenda. I want to do X. I want to do Y. I want to do Z, whatever it is. That does your thing. So we either move towards a relationship with God or we move away from God. And once we understand that dynamic, then we can understand that God, when he sees that somebody is willing to do, willing to have a relationship, willing to, 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 to form a connection with him, that he, that he will pay much attention to that person. And in paying much attention in a relationship, part of anybody's relationship, even if you have the most wonderful relationship, and take any, anybody that's wonderful in your life, part of that relationship is that you go through hard times, that you, you're able to point out to that person something negative or where you can grow. It's particularly pertinent when it comes to the relationship of marriage where where it is the crucible from which you can experience the greatest love, the ecstasy, and you can also experience the greatest pain because it's with that person who you, you, you want the deepest relationship with, is that's the person that is going to push the buttons and, and, and going to cause you to grow. Similarly with us and God, if we want that relationship to God, God's going to plow a tremendous amount of effort into that relationship. And that on a practical level seemingly looks as if we suffer at times, that God is against us. But how many times in hindsight we have looked at times which are uh, negative, which are um, uncomfortable, which are very challenging, which are downright sore, and we ask the question why. And this is what King David replies. Tzadik ata Hashem. Righteous are you Hashem. Or the Yasha Mishpatecha. Your judgments are fair. That we need to understand if God has brought something into our lives that is negative from our viewpoint. That as, a, as, as, a, as, as people of pure faith and as people who are wanting to connect to God, we need to accept all of God's judgment as upright and true. And maybe we are not seeing the whole picture. And this is the next dimension in that we have this world and we measure our success and our abilities in this world. We are not measuring the fact that we're actually on a journey. And um, in that journey, we have come from a world and we are traveling through this world to get to another world. And this is just 
this, these 120 years is just a little speck in the eternal, in the vast traveling that our soul is going to take. And so we hit some ups and downs. We hit some painful moments, but that's what they are. So that is the basis of Tzadikata Hashem. You are righteous, Hashem. We accept humbly the enigmatic divine scheme um, and we appreciate everything that God does for us, albeit that sometimes things are really can be pretty nasty from our side. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back. And uh, as always, I love to hear from you. If you'd like to have a chat, it's 010-140-3020. Our SMS line is 34519. Our WhatsApp number is 061-895-1019. We were speaking about why the righteous suffer. Just a little, just a little skinny dip into this very, very vast uh, discussion. If you have anything that you'd like to say, that you'd like to ask, that you'd like to pass a comment on, please don't be shy. Call in. Right, verse 138, continuing with the letter Tzadik, reads, Tzivita Tzedek edos edvotecha ve'emuna me'od, you commanded your testimonies of righteous and great faithfulness. Now, not only is Hashem Tzadik, not only is Hashem um, a, 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 a righteous God, and not only is his judgments fair, he goes further and he says, what you commanded us is righteous and is full of great faithfulness, meaning that God, so to speak, is nonpartisan. He's completely, completely objective. And when somebody deserves punishment, God doesn't show any favoritism. He doesn't accept any bribes. So, when the Jews of, when, not the Jews, when the children of Israel deserve to be exiled from, from the land of Israel because of their faults, it said God issued strict, uh, strict parameters, strict, uh, commandments as to what will happen. And he acted with us with firmness. And we know this because it says in Deuteronomy, in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 16, if you'd like to look it up, in verse 19 and 20, it says, You shall not twist judgment, nor shall you recognize favorites, neither shall you accept bribes, for righteousness, only righteousness you pursue, and that you may live and inherit the land which Hashem, your God, gives you. So we might be able to, uh, you know, finagle our way through life and lie and twist and show favoritism and accept bribes. God knows what's inside of our heart. God knows exactly why and how and when we behave, and there will be firm judgment on it. There will be for every action, there will be a reaction. With great faithfulness, the, one of the commentators here observes that when a person is perfectly honest, that is only when he can get real faith in God, because the honest and the sincere person knows he will do anything to keep his word and honor, his commitments. And therefore, because he acts like that, he is confident that Hashem too, God too, will fulfill his promise to those who obey him. When a dishonest and sincere person distrusts God, he distrusts himself as well. There was a very interesting uh, little story 
that I shared with my grandchildren on on Shabbat this week, which actually was they they started laughing, but it was a pretty good story. It says that um, a man and his friend hopped onto a wagon, and they went for a drive. It, you know, they left the little town and they went for a drive into the fields. And um, they were driving along, and they passed on the road to the to to the side of them. They saw a beautiful orchard, okay, and the most luscious fruit was growing on the orchard. So the man said to his friend, who was actually the wagon driver, "Stop! I want to get off and get some fruit." And before he knew it, the guy jumped off the wagon. And had made his way into the orchard and was climbing the the um, the tree, and he was helping himself to the fruit. Suddenly, his friend in the wagon, the wagon driver, shouted, "Quickly, hurry! Somebody's watching!" And the man got a huge fright. He jumped out of the tree, jumped, scooted back to the wagon, jumped, and the wagon driver hit his horse, and they galloped off at a fast speed. About a kilometer later, it seemed like they were better. The guy who had, was looking for the, you know, had gone to go get the fruit, looked behind him, and he saw nobody. So he turned around to his friend, the wagon driver, and he said to his friend, Hey, who did you see was looking at us because there's no one following us? And his wagon driver, his wagon driver friend turned around and said to him, Someone, I didn't say somebody was watching us. I said someone is watching us, the one above. He was watching you, and you were about to perform the act of theft. A very powerful lesson that when we are behaving honestly and perfectly, we know that God is watching us. We've learned that, that from the, ver- the, the previous thing, that there's an eye that sees and an ear that hears. This is from Pirke Avot. An eye that sees and an ear that hears. Everything is written down. And we need to be as scrupulously honest and as trustworthy as possible because God is watching you all the time. So don't think that you can get away with this or you can get away with that and nobody is looking. God is looking. And if we behave, if we behave with perfect honesty, with with sincerity, then the emuname od we believe with with we believe greatly that Hashem too will fulfill his promises to all those who obey him and the vice versa applies also one of the things that is implied in this the emuname od that we 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 believe in God's faithfulness we have a tremendous amount of faithfulness in God is that God will still fulfill his promise to redeem us and bring Mashiach as Yeshiyahu, as Isaiah prophesizes in chapter 11, he says, and righteousness and faithfulness shall be the girdle of his loins. And this again will be the discussion that we will begin tomorrow at 8.10 on, right here, on Chai FM, just discussing that one of the fundamentals of the Jewish faith is that we believe, as King David said so many thousands of years ago, that we we have to do our part. God will has promised and will fulfill His part in bringing us the righteous Messiah and bringing the whole world to a better place. 
Verse 139 reads as follows. Tzim tatni kinati ki shachachu devarecha tzarai. My zeal incenses me, for my oppressors have ignored your words. Okay, here we're talking about kina. Kina means uh, kina means righteous indignation. It means zealousness by those who love God when they witness things. Okay, the the the, the greatest zealot of our ta- of, of of biblical time was Pinchas. When Pinchas saw that the men were cohabiting with the Moabite woman. He came into the camp and he, in his zealousness, killed a man and woman um, caught in the act. And this actually uh, awakened the Jews to chuva, awakened the Jews to repentance. So here what King David is saying is that my zeal incenses me like I have a, 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 a hurt. I, I feel like a, a rising up. Of, of indignation when I see that those um, people have forgotten what God is all about um, and they have forgotten really the threat in the Torah that says he repays those who hate him to the face to destroy them. He will not delay his enemy to repay him to his face. So this is something that a righteous person um, w- will have a an appropriate reaction when you see somebody who's not doing something right, that this overwhelming feeling of, wow, why are you not listening to the word of God? Tzerufa imratcha me'od, this is verse 140. Tzerufa imratcha me'od, your word is very pure, meaning your words, Hashem, are entirely free of any flaw um, or error. Many times people go and say, no, it's not exactly what God meant. The Torah has changed. It's gone through so many, so, so, you know, so much, so many, so much history that it wasn't meant like this today. It really was earlier what it meant before. The Midrash actually comes and gives an interesting parable. It says, there's a parable of a king who ordered a silversmith to purify the king's silver dish. So after the silversmith refined it in the furnace and removed it, The king told him to purify it a second time, which he did. Then the king went and purified it a third time. And so says the Midrash, this is like Hashem, the king of kings, the holy one, blessed be he. He refined and purified the Torah 49 times. Why? Because they've got it in uh, Proverbs, the verse, every word of God is purified. And also in Tehillim, in chapter 12, it says, the words of Hashem are pure words, like silver refined in the finest smelting earth, clarified sevenfold. Sevenfold means seven times seven. That's where they get that God purified the Torah 49 times. So the analogy is drawn that just like the silversmith repeatedly goes through the refining process again and again in order to achieve the ultimate standard of purity. God also reviewed the entire Torah for the sake of clarity. And once it was given at Har Sinai, it was repeated a second time at the tabernacle, reviewed a third time on the plains of Moab, because he wanted us to be very, very clear. Tzerufa imratcha me'od, your word is very pure. And this purity has existed and has been sustained for thousands of years. I recall once I had somebody come to my house 
who challenged me on the authenticity of Torah, on the fact of how can I prove that that which we learn today, if we go open, say, an art scroll edition of the Chumash, how do I know that this is exactly the Torah that was given to Moses at Har Sinai? Now, I couldn't go give him that proof all the way to Har Sinai, but I had a very, very easy proof because in our house we also have a cabinet filled with antique books, with books going back a very, very long time to the early 1800s. And uh, I opened up this very fragile uh, bookcase. It's it's behind glass because the books themselves are so old that uh, you touch them and they kind of like crumble as you hold them. And what I did was that I brought out a chumash that was printed, I think it, it was in Lithuania, maybe Russia. I cannot remember. I do remember the date, 1826. And I opened it up to the first uh, page. It was a chumash bereshit. It was the, the book of Genesis. I opened up to verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. And I put it down in front of the guy. And then I walked him over to our bookshelf, our extensive bookshelf, and I pulled out a chumash, an art scroll chumash, and I opened it. And I said to him, look, this is 200 years almost uh, that have passed. Look at the words here and look at the words there. They're the most, they're the identical words. They are identical nekudot. They're identical vowels. They're identical incantations. It's exactly the same. And if you wanted to go and prove the authenticity of Torah, go back, go back to, and I've seen it with my own eyes many, many times in, 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 uh, in, um, in, in history when you go back to museums, okay, where they are, they, they show certain Jewish populations in certain places. I know, uh, this past year we were in Dubrovnik. Okay, and we went to the shul there, um, and we saw a Haggadah. I think that was 500 years old. The same Manishtana, the same Hadgadya, the same wherever you go. Um, I had the privilege of going to the old synagogue on the island of Rhodos, the Greek island of Rhodos. There they have a Torah uh, scroll. Um, that dates back to the 1200s, to just after the Spanish expulsion, to the 1300s. The exact same words as the Torah scroll we use in our, in our shul today. So this idea, Tzrufa Imratcha Ma'od, your word is very pure. One of the things, not one of the things, perhaps the most important thing that has bound us together is the fact that Hashem's words entirely free of any flaw. The Avdecha Aheva and what our job is, is that your servant, us Jewish people, need to love it. We need to accept its teachings lovingly. We need to rejoice in carrying out God's perfect commandments and know that which we are learning, that which we are keeping is in fact um, true, correct, and flawless as the day that we stood at Har Sinai and we received it. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. 
And we are halfway through verse chapter 119, the verses that start with the letter. Tzadik, we're on verse 141. I am young and despised, but I did not forget your precepts. What is King David saying here? You know, Yishai, okay, Yishai was King David's father, and he had eight sons. The David who hakoton. This is in, in Shmuel, in the book of Samuel. David was the smallest. He was the youngest one. But not only was he the youngest of the sons, he also was the, 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 the one that was treated as the most insignificant, lowly person. And they figured that he was suited for nothing else but for tending the sheep. And he was so despised and, and hated by his brothers and his father that when the prophet Samuel, Shmuel, came to Yishai's house to search for a son suited to be anointed as king, no one even thought to summon King David or King David at that point of time home from the flocks. And King David's early life was filled with degradation. Okay. Um, and it's, it's a whole long story. Uh, Yishai believed, did not believe that he was the father of King David, and he threw King David's mother and David himself out, and they lived out in the backyard. That's a story in and of itself. I don't want to get into every single detail, but as we said in the beginning, Tzadik Atah Hashem, Hashem, you are righteous in everything, even when there is suffering. Even when things are exceedingly uncomfortable, even when there are challenges and obstacles. And David's early years of degradation was, was, were precisely there because that's what made him fit for royalty. You see, above all, the most important character of a king is that he needs to remain humble. In, in, uh, in Deuteronomy and Devarim, it says, his heart should not be lifted up above his brethren. It's very easy when one gets into government, when one becomes a prime minister, a king, a president, you name it, chairman of the board, that uh, you you kind of like get in a bit of an inflated ego. So the Talmud teaches that David never lost his humili- the humility of his youth. And throughout his reign, one of the most superb qualities about David was that he always deferred humbly to his superiors and wisdom. David himself says it. He says it in chapter 22 of Tehillim. He says, I am a worm and not a man, scorn of humanity and despised of nations, and all who see me deride me. That's what he said about himself. So, Tsair Anochive Nivze, I am young and despised. David refers back to his not very pleasant upper bringing. And he says, Oh, I never forgot. I never forgot your Torah. Because what did he say? He said, only a person who has abandoned genuine Torah study is able to develop a deflated, distorted self-image and think that he's the bee's knees. King David was saying, I did not forget to study your Torah. I cultivated an association with Torah scholars, far, who, who surpassed me far in wisdom, and I was humbled by that vast knowledge, and I was also plagued incessantly by trials and suffering. I still clung to your Torah, and I knew what to do, because you, Hashem, are tzaddik. You are righteous.
Then he goes on to say in verse 142, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. Meaning, if Hashem makes a promise to an individual or to a family or to a people, that promise is everlasting. It's never voided. And King David gives thanks to God for his everlasting promise. What? That the royal scepter shall not depart from Yehuda. And that is why we go back again now to our discussions that who's the Messiah? One of the criteria of the Messiah is that he has to be Mashiach ben David. Because that is one of the promises that the royal scepter shall not depart from Yehuda. And that kind of gives us a sense of comfort, a sense of knowing that whatever Hashem has written, whatever Hashem has promised, we know that they will be true. So tzitkatcha tzedek lo'olam, your righteousness, God, is an everlasting righteousness. Vitoratcha um, emet, and there is only one reality. Torah. Everything else in life is an illusion. Torah is the source of creation. It's by virtue of Torah that the world continues to exist. And it's the Torah that established um, standards of decency, of morality, of honesty. And that's where the buck stops, ladies and gentlemen out there. Without this fundamental ethic of truth, the world will cease to exist. This is a fundamental of Jewish thought, that God is tzedek, he is righteous, his Torah is righteous. God is truth, his Torah is truth. God is honest, the Torah is honest. God is moral, the Torah is moral. And it's up to us to choose. Do we want a life of morality, of honesty, of truthfulness, or are we going to choose, God forbid, the absolute other way? Any comments? 34519. Do you abide by that in your life? Do you believe that to be a yardstick in your life? Do you believe that this is something that if the world followed that, that we would have a better world? Let me know on 34519. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back, and we are going to be finishing the last two verses of the letter Tzadik. Tsar umatsok mitzauni, this is verse 143, distress and anguish have overtaken me. Um, here, King David is talking about two types of negativity. Tsar, distress, those are threats and troubles that stem from surrounding enemies. Matzok, anguish, is talking about mental and emotional suffering that originates from the self. And the Midrash refers to the suffering of the persecuted Jewish nation and says um, about it again in Devarim, you shall eat the fruit of your own womb, the flesh of your own sons and daughters, whom Hashem has given you, b'matzor or b'matzok, because of the distress and the anguish with which your enemies will cause you anguish. And here the here King David is consoling the Jewish people. He says, as surely as the suffering came as predicted, so too shall there be the divine consolation and the comfort will arrive just as the prophets have predicted. 
But tsar is one thing when, when that anguish comes from outside, perhaps the greater punishment is the matok, is the emotional anguish that comes from the inside. And many, many times one always has to look at one situation and try to divide between the two because while there might be tsar on the outside, if you are a believing Jew and you know that everything that, 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 that is happening is coming from God, you won't land up falling into the pit of um, of matzok, of that which is inside of you, okay, um, which, is, which is important. And finally, verse 144, um, My testimonies are righteous forever. Uh, grant me the understanding so that I may live. Basically, the Torah, the narratives of the Torah bear testimony to the fact that although the righteous are momentarily endangered, righteousness always prevails, ultimately. Ultimately, all evil is annihilated. And so King David says, Grant me the understanding so I may live, because it's only through the merit of Torah that the Jewish people have continued to live. We will endure forever as long as we are learning Torah. It says in Yeshiyahu, My words which, which I have put into your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor the mouth of your children, nor from the mouth of your children's children, says Hashem, henceforth and forever. That has been the secret of our existence. Ask yourselves why the Jews that are a quarter percent of one percent of the world's population who have been scattered into every corner of this world, why is it that we exist? What was the glue that kept us together? It wasn't our culture. Because we have Sephardi Jews and we have Ashkenazi Jews. We have Jews that came from Russia and Jews that came from New Zealand. We've got Jews from all over the place. And surely after inhabiting the, the places that we did for so many years, we would have been swallowed up into the culture. But we remained apart. What kept us apart? Our observance of Torah. That was the glue. Because when we connect ourselves to that which is eternal, that which is true, God's wisdom and connect ourselves to the source of that wisdom, God himself, then we have eternity. We're guaranteed eternity. And that perhaps is the greatest miracle of the Jewish people, that thousands of years later we are still around as a people, even though we come from all four corners of the world. We speak all sorts of languages. We eat all sorts of foods, but we still keep the same Torah. And that is what is righteous. God is righteous, his Torah is righteous, and it's up to us, the Jewish people, to remain righteous. And on that note, wishing everybody a wonderful week, and please God, join me back in the studio tomorrow at 8.10, where we will be discussing the concepts of Mashiach. In the meantime, have a wonderful day.